Welcome back to Horoscope Bitch. It's Mal, and it means so much to me that you're listening to this today. So I just wanted to say a genuine thank you if you're spending part of your day listening to me talk about astrology and social justice issues, which will be the majority of this podcast. Um, But if you are listening on iTunes today, please remember to give me a rating if you would be so kind. (laughs) If this podcast gets enough five-star ratings, uh, we could possibly end up on the new and noteworthy section of iTunes. So I don't know, maybe one day it'll happen if we get enough ratings. So do that if you feel so inclined. And Today, I'm going to talk about what I call phase two of our birth chart, which is the understanding of the astrological houses. So this whole podcast up till now, we've been working through phase one of astrology, which is understanding the planets and which which signs are associated with certain planets that you may have. So for instance... Maybe since I've started this podcast, I've inspired you to take a closer look at your birth chart and you've learned that, you know, not only is your sun in Sagittarius, but you also have a Capricorn moon and a Pisces rising and a Scorpio Venus and a Scorpio North node or whatever it may be. And we've talked about how Astrology is kind of like bartending, mixing alcohol with together with the mixer and creating a sort of cocktail, um, which is really who you are. Now, during phase two, we have our cocktail made, but we're actually going to be discussing the houses, which is kind of like the glass you're pouring the cocktail in, if you will. But we will get to that at the end. It'll make more sense in the second half. So the first half, I am going to be talking about some astrological events that are happening and are coming up and actually did happen last week too, but I I don't think I can really talk about these events without also discussing some important current day topics and women's issues, and I've been really upset all week. It's been a really rough week for me as a woman, and I'm not, I don't even identify as a survivor of sexual assault, so I can't even imagine what this week has been like for a lot of women who are living in America as victims of sexual trauma or really living anywhere in the world, but yeah, I just wanted to warn you guys, things might get serious and they might get triggering, so if you're really just here to have a good time and talk about astrology I'll leave a timestamp in the show notes and you can just skedaddle right down to the second part, which is where I talk about the astrological houses. Um, But the first part, you know, we're going to be relating astrology to social justice issues. And for me, astrology is social justice. Astrology is radical feminism and it's a proponent of equality. So I can't really just have this fun little astrology show where like we talk about like how fun it would be to fuck a Scorpio or whatever. Um, I'm going to have to talk about these social justice issues because I don't really see a point in making this podcast if I'm not going to use my passion and my interest 
to facilitate some small change. So with that, in the name of the Mother, the Daughter, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's get into the current times in our planets. So something that happened last week, we had a full moon in Aries on September 25th, which was just an amazing full moon because here's the thing, Aries, Aries is like the sign of fire and passion and action and they're ruled by Mars and the key word that Aries have inside of them is I am. So I felt like this this full moon, it just allowed us all to just say, you know, I am, I am angry, I am a survivor, I am a woman, I am a mother, I am a daughter, I am a person, and I'm sick of this shit. Um, and of course I'm talking about uh, the Brett Kavanaugh case that's been going on in America for the last week or so. And how it's just inspired so many women to kind of come forth and say, like, I am a survivor and I'm sick of this shit. And I really feel like that full moon in Aries set us up with that fiery energy that was able to propel us into this sort of wonderful but angry and unstoppable force right now to the point we're kind of at a breaking point with society in general I think so yeah we came from that full moon in Aries on September 25th and we'll be in that full moon energy until the next full moon at the end of October right so we have a whole month where we're going to be influenced by this full moon in Aries so if you're feeling more fiery, if you're feeling more angry, if you're feeling like you finally want to stand up for something that you believe in, I wouldn't be surprised if this full moon was the thing that was lighting the match for you. And there's, of course, other things that are happening, important things that are happening in the sky that are also contributing to this feeling. And this sort of like women's uprising that we're seeing right now. Now, it's important to mention that Pluto, Pluto, if we remember when I was talking about the planets, Pluto is our generational mover, right? So we don't technically feel Pluto on a really individual level, but we feel Pluto on a generational level, right? So everybody in your generation, whatever generation you consider yourself to be, you would share a Pluto sign with them. So Pluto actually stationed direct in Capricorn on September 30th. So this also could have been that sort of influence, although I think because Pluto is the furthest away, it takes Pluto a long time to like get moving again after he's been in retrograde for so long. But I think he's slowly starting to chug along here. And the the slow start of Pluto going direct in, in Capricorn has also acted as a great setup for us to sort of have this generational revolution in a sense. Uh, we can't deny that even though 
all generations since the beginning of time, all generations of women have experienced sexual assault, sexual trauma, um, sexual harassment. Right now, the younger generations uh, are feeling a lot differently about that, right? Uh, And we're finally in a place where I mean, even though Dr. Ford is of an older generation, she's speaking up. But I, I think it's because the, the younger generations are just, they come from this activism sort of family of Pluto. <laughs> and let me explain further. So even though Pluto is in Capricorn right now, um, I think it's hard to mention generational issues and generational revolutions without mentioning the millennials, which I identify as a millennial. I'm in the last little uh, phase of millennials. So if you're a millennial, you're also a Pluto in Scorpio. Okay, so Pluto in Scorpio is if you were born between 1983 and 1995. So those are our millennials. And then anybody who was born after 1995 is a generation z a generation z so you would be a pluto in sag so i'm this is me assuming that most of my listeners are millennials uh maybe some of you are generation z but here's the thing people are constantly shitting on millennials i think that actually has a lot to do with the fact that our generation has our plutos in scorpio Okay, so Scorpio and Pluto, they both of, you know, the sign of Scorpio and the planet of Pluto, to me, has a lot to do with karma, ancestral wounds, and I can't help but think millennials are just so fucking pissed all the time because of this Pluto and Scorpio energy. You know, we have to be the ones to facilitate this change and even though generations before us have started wars and went to war and you know they've they've revolutionized things and they've made the world what it is today Scorpio in Pluto is kind of here to change everything that's been established um that being said Pluto and Scorpio are BFFs right uh, Pluto, again, I said it's a generational mover, but he also rules stuff like war and transformation and death and rebirth. Scorpio also has similar themes like death and rebirth, transformation, going to war. So it's not surprising that you know Pluto and Scorpio feel right at home with each other. Pluto is Scorpio's ruler. So there is still this aspect of warfare with these people. They're still going to be interested in going to war. And by these people, I mean millennials. But we want a different kind of war than our parents wanted or our grandparents wanted, right? Uh, We don't want to just fight a war with guns and bombs and whatever other weapon we're thinking of. You know, we... I think, in a sense, are trying to fight the war of a pacifist (laughs) in a weird way. And I know that's an oxymoron, but it's true because most, the vast majority of millennials, you know, whether you consider yourself a liberal or a conservative millennial, you want peace. 
you see the mistakes that our generations before us have made. We see stuff that we just completely want to uproot out of the ground and just toss away and start new. But it's really, really hard to uproot a sort of like 200-old oak tree that has roots that are like dozens of feet into the ground gripping on this soil for dear life. Like it's going to take a fucking bulldozer to get that tree out of ripped out of the ground. And that's also why people think millennials are crazy cuz we're literally trying to rip this tree out of the ground that's been rooted in that for so long and people are like what the fuck are you doing? Why would you want to uproot this beautiful oak tree that we've created and we've grown and we've cared for all these years and millennials and these Scorpios and Plutos are like no like this isn't right I can see what's wrong with this tree don't you see where you planted it last time I checked you planted that tree on indigenous people's uh front yard and also guess what you didn't even do the fucking work to plant that tree last time I checked slaves planted that tree Okay, and slaves were watering that tree to make it grow. Not you. You just put your name on it. You carved your name into that tree, but you didn't really do anything to like actually earn the right. And then we're also like, hey, and by the way, who told you that you could even own anything that came from Mother Nature, right? Last time I checked, we can't really, we can't claim what's ours because everything comes from Mother Nature, right? So this is kind of how a Pluto and Scorpio person might see the world. And of course, that's going to piss people off, especially the older generation. That's why they're so resentful of us, right? <laughs> and that's why they kind of see us as little hellions. Like, but we actually did come straight out of hell. Like, <laughs> if you think about it, if you look at Pluto and Scorpio, like we literally climbed out of hell and came to this world. And I'm not saying we're ill-intentioned at all. But we're very ruthless in the war we're going to fight. And we're not going to back down. And even if our opponent isn't backing down either, we're just kind of standing there, uh, like tapping our foot and waiting. And we're like, all right, I'm going to wait this out. Like if we got to wait it out until you drop dead, I'm going to do it. But I'm going to outlive you because I'm younger. <laughs> like that's kind of our our attitude. And we're, we just are so ruthless in our pursuit of how we want to change the world and you know I also think the reason that people people hate on millennials or hate on people with Pluto in Scorpio is that they fear us right they can see it in our eyes that we're pissed you know we're pissed at what the world we're living in today we're pissed at the world that was created for us that was supposed to be better you know this world that was supposed to be better than the world our grandparents lived in but now we're just like to them to other generations like uh the baby boomers were like just like little hellions here to fuck up everything they established and by they i mean the white man capitalist agenda right but we're, yes, are we here to fuck up everything? Yes, but we see a greater tomorrow in mind and we have such a revolutionary perspective that people view us as completely off the wall sometimes. And that's just something to keep in mind. I think 
will transform over time. The good thing about being a millennial is that Generation Z is right behind us, right? So Generation Z, Pluto and Sag, they were, you know, the kids that a lot of kids in Gen Z were born and they don't even, they weren't even born during 9-11 or they don't remember, they were not alive during 9-11, right? Like they were born after that. They were basically born with an iPhone in their hands, right? (laughs) But the thing about Gen Z, Z is that they're going to be the ones to vote the millennials into office, right? So I think Gen Z is really going to like push what the millennials are doing forward. Like the millennials had to be the first ones to kind of be like the hellraisers of what's happening right now. And Gen Z are going to be the people who kind of push what we've done and make it a reality, right? Um, because Gen Z and the millennials, we want to change our laws. We want to change our government. But, you know, right now in this current moment, I'm not saying it won't happen, but all I'm saying is like when we have like a million conservative pterodactyls in in office, it's, it's killing our vibe, you know, (laughs) and we might just have to wait it out for a while. No, this isn't me saying that there's never been activism in any other generation. Like, of course not. Of course not. Like, every generation has their peacemakers and their activists and their radical activists. And we wouldn't be here if the millennials wouldn't be doing what they're doing without the inspiration of the activists that have come before us, right? But there's something special about this Pluto and Scorpio energy that we have inside of us, right? Because we're really, really going to facilitate such a deep-rooted change. Um, and yeah, that's, what, that's what's special. I just wanted to say that. And the reason I'm saying this is because in the in the midst of all of this stuff, it can be really easy to have like a pessimistic attitude about where this world is going or saying this world is trash or saying this world is going to hell uh, or whatnot. But we have to remember that we have these really powerful, powerful generations that are just young right now, right? Um, And the world is going to keep changing better and better. Every single year, the millennials get older and older. And every single year, Gen Z gets older and older. And the world we're going to have when we are in our 40s and 50s, I mean, it's going to be just drastically different than what we're experiencing now. And I really can't wait for that. And I can really only hope that the Pluto and Scorpio generation and the Pluto and Sag generations were just creating this world where, you know, we can send our kids to school and we don't have to, you know, have drills in school about what what to do when a gunman comes in right or we won't have to you know our kids won't have to come out to us and say like hey mom I'm gay because from the get-go we're just gonna be like hey dude I don't care if you're gay or straight you don't have to you don't have to explain anything to me you know like that kind of coming out of the closet to your parents may be over you know once the millennials have kids so that's such a beautiful thing and that's just something to keep in mind and I just, I really have faith in this generation. So that's something I wanted to say. But let's also dip into 
Venus retrograde, which is the most important astrological event, in my opinion, that starts in October. So Venus retrograde is going to start up in a couple days, but we're certainly already feeling the effects. Venus retrograde starts October 5th, and it's going to go into November 16th. And this is happening in Scorpio, and it'll retrograde in Scorpio until October 31st. And then once we hit November 1st, then it's going to start retrograding into Libra. So it's interesting, like Venus is kind of retrograding, but it's changing signs halfway during its retrograde, which will give us a different feel and teach us different lessons um, during Scorpio or during this uh, retrograded Scorpio, right? Now, because it's me, and this is what I do when I'm bored, (laughs) I was actually looking up past Venus retrogrades in Scorpio because the the astrologer is like a historian too like we like to look at history and you know see what what stuff was happening at certain times and see what was happening in the planets because you know we believe as above so below right so I was looking up historical events in past Scorpio Scorpio Venus retrogrades in Scorpio right and one event really stuck out to me okay so hang with me here because I'm not trying to like give you mad flashbacks to like high school English like failing or high school history like failing your high school history class or anything but we had a Venus retrograde in Scorpio in 1962 during the peak of the Cuban Missile Crisis okay isn't that crazy I think that's so crazy and of course now like I said we're going into another Venus retrograde in Scorpio. Now, has there been more than one Venus retrograde in Scorpio since this? Of course, of course. But this event, the Cuban Missile Crisis that happened during a Venus retrograde in Scorpio really stuck out to me. And it it kind of reminded me of what's happening right now with the women's movement in America and all this stuff that's been caused by the Kavanaugh trial. Now hang with me because you're probably like, Mal, this doesn't make sense. (laughs) How could you relate the Cuban Missile Crisis to what's happening right now? Um, But here's the thing. So, you know, what happened during the Cuban Missile Crisis, right? Well, it was a huge investigation, right? Um, JFK, our president, he, he had to like send in forces and, you know, find out like, did Cuba really have these missiles? And then once they confirmed that Cuba had these missiles, you know, in place by the Soviets, everybody was kind of freaking out because, you know, from Cuba, Florida is hella close to Cuba, right? And even with ballistic missiles, they could have reached America easily and destroyed us. So this whole crisis involved like a deep investigation of the unknown right because we had to find out that Cuba even had these hidden missiles and it also involved a dismantling of power in the sense of weaponry right so here's what that event has to do with what's going on right now okay 
So, and also, by the way, there's a, there was probably a million other things. This, I'm sure the sky was on fire during the Cuban Missile Crisis. I'm sure there were other important things happening during the Venus retrograde that happened during the Cuban Missile Crisis, just like there are other things happening right now during our Venus retrograde in Scorpio. But this, for some reason to me, just seems kind of venus Venusish. So, um, you know, right now, I would argue that we are having a crisis over weaponry. And we are having an investigation about weaponry. Okay? But this weapon isn't what you think it is. Okay? Because that weapon isn't a gun. And it isn't a missile. And it isn't a nuclear bomb. It's it's the it's a penis, <laughs> um, and but it's true. Here's the thing. What I was thinking. Here's what what I thought when I saw this information. So, it comes to mind that actually the weapon of mass destruction that has had the most effect on this world is not the missile. It is not a bomb. It is not a gun. It is a penis. The penis as a weapon of mass destruction is a really interesting concept, but hear me out here. So I think about five minutes after man discovered fire, he probably discovered that he could use his penis as a weapon, right? Um, And I think rape has been used as a warfare tactic since the beginning of time. And it's been the most successful weapon we've, we've ever discovered, right? And we didn't even need to make this. We didn't even need to invent anything. Um, this weapon has been extremely successful in terrifying women, in terrifying half of the human population, and keeping us repressed as second-class citizens, right? And so now... We are having another crisis over weaponry, but it's how men use their masculinity, use their toxic masculinity as weaponry, right? So I think we really see this in the Dr. Ford versus Kavanaugh trial. And just like the Cuban Missile Crisis, we reached a breaking point where, you know, JFK and Everybody in government was like, whoa, like, though we cannot deny those missiles. We have to dismantle them, right? We are in danger of being bombed, you know, as a country. And right now, I think women, <laughs> women are finally, I mean, we've known about these quote unquote weapons forever because we've been, we've been trained. We've been training to actually deal with these weapons without dismantling them right? We've been in training to see the weapon of toxic masculinity and actually uh, keep it in power, right? Because remember, women have internalized sexism. We've been groomed to be friendly, nice, smiley, agreeable, heterosexual. We've, We've been groomed to be that way and we've completely aced that test, right? We've completely aced that test. And we've been groomed to protect this weapon of toxic masculinity. So I'm not really surprised that so many women are like not 
totally gung-ho on taking Dr. Ford's side in this trial, right? Because we've aced this test for so long. We've aced the test of protecting toxic masculinity because that's just how we've been trained, right? But here's the thing. Now we're at a breaking point where we've discovered the missiles, right? We've discovered the missiles and now we have no choice but to dismantle it. And I truly believe we are on the road to dismantling the greatest weapon of mass destruction. Um, Sorry, I keep saying penis on this podcast. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Um, So uh, yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking about the connection. And maybe it seems like a huge stretch, but on a macro scale, I don't see it as a stretch, that big of a stretch about what's happening right now, right? Because like I kind of said with Scorpio before, like Venus in Scorpio, okay, Venus, planet of love, planet of women, planet of femininity, mixed with this Scorpio energy of, again, war, secrets, um, the subconscious, deep-rooted stuff, deep-rooted psyche, those things mixing and then going into retrograde we're being forced to kind of uh, dig up something. Like I literally right now see in my mind a dog digging a hole in like an area of your backyard and you're like, what the fuck to my dog? Like why did he just choose that spot to dig up? Um, And that's kind of like what we're doing to men in a way. Like I feel like men are kind of just like, whoa, 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 what the fuck? Like what are you guys doing? Like why are you just digging on my lawn that was like perfectly, you know, mowed? I just mowed the lawn. Like, why are you digging a hole? And we're like, um, you know, I can't really put my finger on it, but I just have this intuitive feeling that you like, you're a fucking asshole and I need to figure out, I need to get to the bottom of it. <laughs> That's kind of what we're doing as a, a human race right now with certain people. And that type certain people are feeling attacked and, um, that's Okay. I mean, we got we to gotta do what we got to do. We got to get to the bottom of some of these issues. And also, I really believe the eclipses during the summer also have kind of set us up for this too, right? We can never, we can't just isolate certain events in astrology because, again, astrological time is cyclical. It's not linear, right? Everything melts into each other and just everything that's happened has really set us up right now for an amazing revolution. Now that's Venus in Scorpio retrograde on a macro scale. So on a micro scale, what could this mean for you individually right now? Well, I actually think, you know, because Scorpio is the sign of secrets and death and rebirth and transformation, And again, like I said, Venus, planet of love, planet of femininity and possessions. By the way, you don't, men, men, women, non-binary can all feel the the effects of Venus, even though she's traditionally a woman, right? Uh, But here's the thing, on a micro level, what is this going to mean for yourself? I think we're actually forced right now to look at who we are as individuals in a relationship, if that makes sense. So if you are in a relationship right now, 
I think this Venus in Scorpio is going to kind of bring up, you know, what role do you play in this relationship and how are you an individual in this relationship, if that makes sense? Are you even an individual in this relationship? Or you do you and your partner just kind of men, meld into one person and you just you do everything together and you agree on everything and you are kind of like in this like robotic stage where you just are kind of like, yeah, the, your partner's in crime, but like your partner in crime and you like no longer have separate interests or don't do anything apart. Like, <laughs> I think that kind of thing might be at the center of Venus retrograde and Scorpio if you're in a relationship you may be feeling like well I have really lost myself and that doesn't really mean necessarily that you're going to have to break up in this relationship but it might mean you have to find yourself as an individual in this relationship again Uh, that might mean being like all right well when I met you I was taking an art class, but I quit that art class because, like, I wanted to go on a date with you, (laughs) um, so, and we've been dating a year, so now I'm gonna, I'm gonna go pick up that art class again, and I'm gonna spend two hours every Tuesday painting and meeting other people, um, something like that. Also, secrets could come out during this time with relationships, I'm not necessarily saying cheating. Like, I don't necessarily think that, you know, the vast majority of people are not going to, like, discover that their partner has been cheating on them. But, like, secrets in the sense that, like, maybe your partner or you, you're going to surprise each other and be like, you know, hey, um, I haven't been really satisfied. Like, the sex is good, but, like, I really wanted to try role play or I really wanted to try this or that and I just never told you but I'm like actually really into that can we start incorporating that into our relationship or you know even on a more drastic sale you could be like hey like I love you but I want to experiment with an open relationship like would you be willing to talk about that you know something could just come up that you know you've been kind of keeping secret from both yourself and your partner right now for singles I think the same thing is kind of happening uh we're working on our relationship with ourselves as independent people who we are in relationships this is a really good time to really sit down and really think about like what kind of relationship you want to manifest now I think sometimes like when we manifest people that we think are perfect for us, like we manifest people like we're like, okay, I need him to have a good job. He He's going to want to have kids. He needs to want to get married. You know, those are my non-negotiables. But when we have this list, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having non-negotiables or having boundaries when it comes to which people you are going to choose to date and which people you're not going to choose to date but this might be a time where you're like okay like yeah I'm trying to make sure that my future partner is uh the same religion as me but you may be like whoa wait a second like does that really matter to me like or does that matter to my parents 
does that really matter to me? Or was I just like trained to think like that? You know, like we're, we're kind of reassessing these so-called non-negotiables in ourselves. And we're like, wait a second, why did I make that a non-negotiable? Uh, for instance, like maybe we made it a non-negotiable or like just kind of a goal that um, maybe you just want to find like a really like comfortable person who who likes to cuddle with you and likes to watch Netflix and you found that person and now you guys just like Netflix and chill all the time and la 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 and you're just like loving it but uh maybe you are like well this person doesn't really challenge me because I that's what I like to do all day every day I like to cuddle and watch Netflix maybe I need a person who is gonna take me out of my comfort zone right so we're just kind of looking at we're reassessing these so-called non-negotiables or what we're manifesting in relationships right now. So overall, I'm really excited for this Venus and Scorpio to start. Some astrologists will say that Venus and Scorpio retrograde, they're going to it's going to bring back old relationships, it's going to bring back or bring faded relationships. I don't necessarily think if you meet someone during Venus retrograde like it, the love could be fleeting, but also there's no rules in astrology. Everything is free will. So you could actually meet someone that is a really good match for you during this time, but only because you're reassessing yourself and what you truly, truly want. And you're kind of throwing away everything that you've been taught by society and taught by your parents. And you're really sitting down with yourself and you're like, okay, what do I want? What do I really want? Like, what kind of person would I date if I didn't have to bring them back to my parents, right? <laughs> Actually, that's a really good question to ask yourself during this time. Like, maybe you would date someone who is more um, out of your comfort zone if you knew you weren't going to have to bring them back to your parents. Like, wasn't that funny? Like, I'm kind of thinking about the type of person that maybe, like, I would date if if like I wasn't like scared part of me wasn't scared of like my parents approval or wasn't still seeking my parents approval and I feel like they would be a lot weirder than the past people I brought home <laughs> I don't know though okay yeah so that's that's kind of what we're dealing with astrologically this week and going into October. So I really hope you enjoy the rest of your Libra season. You know, really remember, uh, you know, tie in that full moon and Aries energy, that I am energy. Don't be afraid to stand up for yourself. Don't be afraid to speak your mind. This is the time to do it. And also really think a lot about your relationship to yourself and your relationship to your relationships during this Venus retrograde in Scorpio. So with that, we'll get into the astrological houses. So let us move into a lesson uh, about the astrological houses. So you may not even know what the astrological houses are, or maybe you've heard some, your horoscope, when you're reading your horoscope, maybe an astrologer has said like, oh, Venus is moving into your seventh house of love. And you're like, what the fuck does that mean? So I'm actually going to explain what exactly that means. Um, give you a background on what the astrological houses are. 
Now, before I do that, we're going to need our birth charts in front of us again, right? And in the beginning of this podcast, I suggested to you all that you make your birth chart on cafeastrology.com and that's just my favorite one of my favorite websites like for beginners to make their birth chart on and because it's really clear and it gives some descriptions and yeah so on and so forth but if we want to look closer at our houses I actually found another free birth chart generator that's even better for looking specifically at your houses so I'll leave the website in the show notes. It's called astrocharts.com. That's astro and then dash charts.com. And it's like a really amazing birth chart website as well. It gives you all this information like uh, like what moon cycle you were born on and how the different planets are interacting. It'll give you more of a, I would say, an intermediate interpretation of what your birth chart is. Now, do that. (laughs) Go to astrocharts.com. Make your birth chart again there. You know, plug and chug your exact time of birth, your birthday, your birthplace, all that stuff. Once you do that, astrocharts.com is going to give you like this crazy looking circle, (laughs) which is your birth chart. It's going to have all these lines on it and you're not going to know what that means. There's also going to be a bunch of crazy symbols all around this circle. Don't worry, I'm I'm going to explain. So on your crazy circle with a bunch of lines on it, those and the symbols, those symbols are either, you know, the signs of the zodiac or the symbols of the planets, right? And those lines, those crazy looking lines, um, just intersecting each other and going across the circle, Those are how the planets are interacting in your birth chart, right? So there's more to your birth chart than just being a sun in Scorpio or a moon in Gemini. Uh, There's also how does that sun in Scorpio interact with that moon in Gemini, right? So it gets really complicated. And that's when astrologers start using terms like aspect, conjunction, square, trine, sextile, etc., etc. All those words have to do with how the planets are interacting. Now, that's like super advanced astrology, and it goes over my head for sure because I'm only a student and I'm also teaching this to myself. So am I attempting to learn all that stuff by myself? Of course, but I'm also like actively trying to manifest a astrology mentor to come into my life and help me learn some of this stuff a little bit more advanced because I need a teacher right like I'm just a student and I'm sharing with you what I know as a student but yeah so it kind of occurred to me the other day that I've never actually spoken those words out loud to someone like I've never said I need an astrology mentor please send me one. (laughs) So that's kind of funny. And I was like, oh, maybe I should say that on the podcast because what if an astrologer is listening and they think I'm cute and they want to (laughs) teach me shit? Like, let me know. (laughs) DM me on Twitter. Do something. Um, Try to contact me. Uh, So let's, we'll see if I can manifest that a little bit faster if I start talking about it but anyways let's get back to the houses so and we're looking at this crazy circle with all these lines you'll see on the outer edge of the circle of your birth chart 
are the numbers 1 through 12. Okay, so these are the astrological houses that we're talking about today. There's 12 astrological houses, just like there are 12 zodiac signs. Um, and in the previous episode, I equated planets and their sign like bartending. So if you have your sun in Pisces, maybe that's like a gin and tonic, you shake it all up, but what kind of glass are you pouring that into, right? So you could have your sun in Pisces like a gin and tonic, but maybe your sun in Pisces is in your fourth house. So you're pouring it maybe into a wine glass, like something that's not traditional uh, for a gin and tonic. So if that makes any sense at all, I really hope I'm making sense. If it doesn't, hopefully you can keep listening and things will kind of clear up further. Um, So when you're looking at the website of Astro Charts, you see the crazy looking circle. Scroll down even further and finally you'll see a list uh, with your houses on there. So the list will actually say something like first house starts in 20 degrees Scorpio, right? Uh, So it might say something along those lines, but then in parentheses under that, it says in the realm of Aries. So for someone who like is completely beginning at astrology, that could be super confusing. You're like, A, what the fuck is the first house? Why is it in 20 degrees Scorpio? And why is it in the realm of Aries, right? Well, it's because the first house is actually associated with Aries, right? Because there's 12 houses, there's also 12 different signs. But just because the first house is associated with Aries doesn't necessarily mean the planet in the first house for you has to be ruled by Aries, if that makes sense. Like someone could totally have uh, something other planets in their first house that has really nothing to do with Aries. You could have a planet in Libra in your first house and it be ruled by Aries. So you can see how this complicates things. And this is when astrology starts to get confusing, a little bit hard to wrap your head around, and you start to realize just how smart it, you have to be <laughs> to be a professional astrologer. Because, you know, maybe you can get down what the sun in Pisces means for you, but maybe you're struggling for when you put that sun in Pisces, what does it mean when it's in the seventh house in the realm of Libra in Capricorn? (laughs) So that's when it gets like uber, uber, you know, confusing, complex. And then you start adding in the aspects, like how does that planet in the seventh house interact with another planet in the ninth house? Like Guys, that's when you got to go and you got to go pay an astrologer to tell you that information. And it's really enlightening information. But today we're really just talking about the the bare basics of each house, right? So no matter what you have in each house um, through 1 through 12, by the way, you could have like three planets in one house and zero planets in another. That's totally normal. But we're just talking about the bare basics of each house. What does each house actually mean? We're not going to really insert like, okay, my first house switches in the realm of Aries is uh, Mars and Leo. Like we're not going to insert that quite yet because we're not ready for that. We're just, we just need to get the basic meanings of the houses down. 
So you can't learn calculus without learning algebra first, right? <laughs> so we're just going to learn algebra first. Now, before I start covering the bare basics of the houses, I just wanted to let you guys know that my interpretation of the houses may be a little bit different from different astrologers. And honestly, the truth is, every astrologer like has their own unique way of interpreting the houses. And it's because there's kind of like a traditional way of looking at the houses, like an ancient astrology type of way to see the houses. And then there's a very contemporary new age interpretation of the houses. There's also like a million different versions of the houses. Okay, so I'm just giving you one version. And there's a ton of books you could read about this. You could go to another astrologer and listen to their interpretation of the houses. So again, you know, if you actually are super serious about learning astrology, please, for by all means, go get a second opinion from another astrologer because I think that's the fun of learning astrology. You get to see everybody else's interpretation and then form your own about what you intuitively feel about each planet, each house, each sign, or whatnot. So I'm definitely not saying anything that I'm saying is an objective truth, okay? So please feel free to challenge my views. And with that, let's get into the basic meanings of the houses, <laughs> okay? So the first house we have is uh, traditionally associated with Aries. And this makes sense, right? Because Aries is the first sign of the zodiac. And for me to describe the first house in one word, it would be ego, okay? I mentioned the full moon in Aries earlier in this podcast, and I mentioned the phrase, I am. And this phrase, I am, is really the most important part of the first house, right? It's like who you are as a person. It's your ego. It's how you present yourself to the world. Now, your first house is the same thing as your rising sign or your ascendant, right? So if you have a rising sign of Libra, your first house will be in Libra. And this is really what like rules your entire chart. So when astrologers say, oh, she's a Pisces, but her chart is ruled by Sagittarius, what they're really saying is they, that this person has a rising sign of Sagittarius in the first house, okay? So no matter what, your ascendant, your rising sign is your first house. So again, that would make sense that it is the I am house. It's the house that holds your ascendant. It's your behavior. It's how we're perceived, how we're looked at, how we go about in the world, uh, in personality wise okay so it, it just really helps me to associate the houses with the zodiac signs but certainly some astrologers do not do that and that's totally fine um the second house i associate with taurus right second house is the house of money okay and if we think about what taurus is taurus is an earth sign they're manifestors of the physical realm, right? So it makes sense that the second house, Taurus, is in the realm of Taurus and it's about money. It's our income, our wealth. It asks us questions like, are we good with money? Are, or are we penny pinchers? Or maybe we can spend money like no one's business. <laughs> and it also asks us, like, how do you make your money? Uh, maybe some of us have like a special talent for customer service and that's how we make our money. Or maybe we have a special talent for sales 
So this is really all about money, but it's about your money. We'll get to what sign rules other people's money, okay? Because that's in a different house, but this house is your money. The third house, which we associate with Gemini, um, communication would be my main word for this house, but it's also about short-term travel, and it's also about siblings. Now, you're probably like, Mel, what the hell does short-term travel have to do with siblings? Like, (laughs) why are these two things, like, mixed in to the third house? Well, if you think about it, siblings are the people that you don't have to travel far to get to, right? You know, they're kind of, like, built in to your support system from the moment you were born, right? So that is what siblings really has to do with short-term travel. And it also has to do with communication, which is also has to do with short-term travel, right? Because like when you're communicating with someone face-to-face, your words aren't necessarily going far. Also, this world has created ways where we can speak speak in a way that reaches faraway places but we don't have to go anywhere to do that right so these are kind of the themes about gemini third house short-term travel so again while i'm going through these be looking at the chart and be seeing like which planets are in this house for you you'll see the little symbols of the planets and it's kind of hard for me to explain what symbols mean what planet over a podcast because like I can't show you but like you know you can see like the sun is like a circle with a dot in it and the moon looks like a moon um Neptune looks like a trident it has like three little pointy uh triangles on top of it um so that you can those are the symbols of the planet so be paying attention to what planets are residing in what houses for you Okay, moving on to the fourth house, which is Cancer, our fourth sign. And, of course, this would be the sign of the home, right? If we think of Cancer, we think of the crab, their shell. They're always at home in their shell. This house, to me, I associate also with the root chakra. It's about, like, our ancestral stories and also our ancestral wounds it's about our parents and it's about the mother really and truly it's about the mother um and if you think about it I don't think I've like ever met a cancer who doesn't want children and if you are a cancer and you don't want children my guess is that your pets are like your children or you take really good care of your friends or your niece and nephews or whatnot so these are kind of the themes of the fourth house if you have a lot of planets in the fourth house you may have like have been one of those people who like always wanted to be a mom always wanted to be a dad Or vice versa, you could have a lot of planets in the fourth house and totally be like, I don't want kids. Like maybe that's like your biggest fear. So also something about the fourth house um, that's interesting is like if you're alive right now and you're listening to this podcast, you were actually technically created in your grandmother's womb. Uh, Because when your grandma was pregnant with your mom, and your mom was a fetus inside of your grandma, your mom was like developing ovaries and eggs as a fetus, right? So technically she was developing you 
inside of your grandma's womb. Now, yeah, that fucking blows your mind, right? If you didn't already know that. And that has to do with the fourth house, right? Like, that's that ancestral ancestral story. So it's ancestral wounds, right? If we think about the wounds of our grandmothers, well, we're still fucking carrying the wounds of our grandmothers because we were made inside of our grandmas, right? So that those are some of the themes of the fourth house. The fifth house. Leo. Okay, if you remember, um, Leo is uh, sort of like the entertainer, I would say, of the Zodiac. Um, And this fifth house is really like the fun house. It's the feel-good house. It is the house of pleasure. It also has to do with sex, creativity, leisure. But the kind of sex that we're talking about in the fifth house is kind of just like fun, like non-committal kind of sex it's not that like committed relationship kind of thing um also I just love this house for creativity right like if you have a planet in the fifth house usually astrologers will associate it with like you having good luck in that certain area but it also could go bad too because maybe you have like Neptune in your fifth house and that makes you like really attuned to seeking pleasure and you get addicted to like drugs and alcohol like that could be the shadow side of the fifth house but yes so this is like the feel good house is how I would describe it the sixth house we're moving into what I associate with Virgo so actually it's funny because traditional astrology used to call this house the house of bad luck or the house of misfortune um and but really truly in modern astrology we call it like the house of service and if we think of virgos their main goal in life is to be of service somehow right and this is kind of where our careers reside but it's also just like how we contribute to the community now the other way you could look at this house as well besides it being like career and service it's also about our health it's also the house of health and that also relates back to the virgo you know being a sign that's really concerned with health and well-being and longevity that kind of thing so a lot of planets in this house could mm, maybe say that you are like overly career oriented maybe your whole life you build around your career and then one day you wake up and you're like oh wait what was I doing there but again it all depends what what planet you have in this house so the seventh house of Libra um so Libra is our balancing scale we talked about last episode the seventh house has to do with our long-term relationships right it also has to do with marriage but on the flip side you know it also has to do with enemies right um I'll give you a little insight into my birth chart so you know you can psychoanalyze me but in my love life but I'm going through kind of a rough time with my seventh house right now uh you know even though my seventh house the seventh house is in libra my seventh house is ruled by capricorn okay so we have these like libra and capricorn energies that are kind of fighting and on top of that 
I have Venus, Uranus, and Neptune in the seventh house. So I've been kind of struggling with that, how to deal with that, because on the one side, having Venus in the seventh house is really lucky, because, you know, Venus loves the seventh house. It's the house of relationships and um, all good things, but then I also have Uranus and Neptune in the seventh house, and um, Uranus is a planet we've talked about of um, sort of uh, non-conformist ideas of surprise. So there's a part of me that really wants to be super non-conformist in love. And then there's another part of me that is so like old school romantic and they're just kind of fighting in the seventh house. And then on top of that, I also have Neptune, which is can be the planet of disillusion. So <laughs> I tend to dis- disillusion myself when I'm in love quite frequently. And that only gets exasperated when I am it, when I since I'm a Pisces, right? So that's kind of an insight to how you could interpret your seventh house of relationships. So definitely pay attention to what planets you have there. Maybe you don't have any planets there. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I'd have to look at your chart. So eighth house, Scorpio. Eighth house of Scorpio. This is the house of the underworld, right? It's the house of death, rebirth, sex, and taxes. <laughs> And you're like, God, like that's a weird mix of shit. But it really all makes sense because um, this is the eighth house is sort of like the shadow side of sex, I would say. It's kind of like the, um, you know how I said that when Venus goes in retrograde in Scorpio, things might come up around sex. Like maybe you want to tell your partner like, hey, like I've been keeping a secret from you, but I'm like really into BDSM. Can we like try something out? Like, that's kind of like the eighth house, that that secretive side of sex. Whereas the fifth house, which is this, the house of pleasure, that's totally, like, happy-go-lucky sex, fun, like, attitude. Eighth house is, like, a darker side of sex. And you're probably like, what the fuck, what does taxes have to do with this house? Well, this is also the house of other people's money, right? And that relates back to the themes of Scorpio as a sign in general, right? So that moves us to the ninth house, which is traditionally ruled by Sagittarius. Now, like the third house was ruled by Gemini, right? And that was short-term travel and siblings. Now we're at the ninth house of Sagittarius, long-term travel. This makes sense because Gemini and Sagittarius are at a 180 with each other. They are opposites. So Gemini is the short-term ruler of short-term travel. Sagittarius is the ruler of long-term travel. So uh, it's also long-term travel in a metaphysical way. Like this house like gets us deep into philosophical discussions, questions about life. This house kind of reminds me if we took like an intro to philosophy class in college. Um, it asks us like, who is God? Who is religion? Who am I? Why am I here? That kind of thing. Now, pay attention to what planets you have in this house for sure. Me personally, I'm just going to tell you everything about me, I guess, in, in this podcast. Uh, but I actually have a sun, a moon, and Saturn in my ninth house. And like I've said before, I'm young. I'm only 23 years old. But I've been lucky enough to go to 10 countries in my life. And I've also lived in 
two different countries like other than my home country which is America I'm American um so that is like so ninth house um and but Saturn is kind of the taskmaster it's our challenging planet so even though my sun and moon are in the ninth house they're they're drawing me to go to long distances and ask these important questions Saturn also weighs heavily and tells me all the time that I can't do these things okay like for instance because my sun and Saturn are together if you have your sun and Saturn in the same sign and in the same house this is a challenge for you in life because you're you're gonna have trouble seeing yourself as others see you like still to this day even though I've done extensive traveling I also get down on myself I get anxious before I go somewhere new I tell myself I can't do it or I shouldn't go this place for whatever reason I try to talk myself out of it but realizing that Saturn is also in my ninth house has really helped me sort of overcome that and be like you know what that's just Saturn talking like I'm always going to overcome this because like my sun and moon are more powerful than Saturn I hope that makes sense (laughs) um okay and then winding down to the 10th house of Capricorn okay so if you think of Capricorn they're the CEO of the zodiac so 10th house has to do with our role in society what role do we play it's about fame it's about honors it's about awards who are you to your society how do you um how do you contribute to society now if your 10th house is empty has no planets Some of you may fall into like a negative thought pattern of thinking that you have nothing to contribute to the world and no one ever notices your efforts. You may have some kind of mentality like that. So that's just an example how like an empty house with no planets could also affect you in different ways. 11th house, we've arrived at Aquarius, right? Our 11th sign. So this is the house of friendships and connections. Uh, So right now we are in the age of Aquarius and the world actually strikes me right now is very 11th house, right? (laughs) Um, Because if we're living kind of in the 11th house right now as a collective, that can be really good and also really bad. Because this is the house of friendships and connections technology has allowed us to like make these connections worldwide right and that has a lot to do with age of aquarius and technology has even allowed me to make this podcast and make these connections with you listening right now and that's amazing but then think of the shadow side of social media you know people are not authentic on Instagram or whatever, or people lie on the internet or people cyberbullying on the internet. You know, the more connections we have, the more opportunity we have to, well, connect with people, but also the more opportunity we have to spread hate. So these are kind of the issues that Uh, the 11th house deals with but overall it's a really good feeling house like kind of gives me the same vibes as the fifth house of pleasure uh like the 11th house is not typically seen as like a super difficult house to deal with on the other hand (laughs) the 12th house which is done 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 which is ruled by pisces now actually i love this house um it's the house of the subconscious right 
uh, things we have kept secret from ourselves and from others. It's also the house of like karma, psychology, spirituality, the soul. So it's kind of like the ninth house, how the ninth house has to do with philosophy and religion, but we're going even deeper. Like we're going into the soul. We're going into spirituality. Uh, it's about being in this world as a spiritual being, being a soul inside a body. That's kind of about the ninth house, but also a lot to do with secrets. Um, can I just say that my friend, they have not one, not two, but five planets in the 12th house. And I literally feel like I will never actually know who that person is. <laughs> and also, it's funny because you would think a person who has five planets in the 12th house, maybe they would be super witchy or super into astrology or super into spirituality. But they, I've never met a more resistant person to the idea of astrology and spirituality which is really interesting and it's an interesting play on you know if you have a lot of planets in a certain house it could uh it could highlight those aspects or it could totally make you like ill thinking about the themes of that house right and also just i try really hard not to push my astrological beliefs on people but it's like me and I like talk about astrology all the time and you know whenever I'm talking to this person they like shut down anything I say about astrology and you're probably like Mel like why are you hanging out with this person if they're hating on you but you know me and this person we share other passions besides astrology and just because you know someone's a Christian and I'm not a Christian doesn't mean I'm not friends with them right or if someone's a Muslim and I'm not a Muslim doesn't mean we can't be friends just because you don't like astrology you don't believe in it doesn't mean that we can't be friends doesn't mean we can't set that aside and work on something else that's really productive like poetry literature whatnot um so that's kind of my relationship to this person with five planets in the 12th house nevertheless I still think they're motherfucker for giving me their birth chart time shouldn't have done that because now for the rest of my life with them I'm gonna always think that their disbelief in astrology has a lot to do with five planets in the 12th house but nevertheless um okay y'all so my ramblings have gone on long enough I hope that talking about the house a little bit made a little bit more sense we're gonna have a house's lesson part two where I talk more about how you can apply your personal planets into the certain houses and what that could mean. Again, that was just kind of a basic understanding of the sort of glass or cup or wine glass or shot glass or the beer glass that each house is, right? And if you're feeling really lost about what I'm talking about, go back to my third episode where I talk about the pure basics of a birth chart and Remember, this episode was a little bit more advanced for my friends who are, you know, super interested to continue their study with me in astrology. And yeah, I think next episode, we're going to talk about Saturn. So we're going to bring this up again. We're going to find out where Saturn is in our birth chart. So if you want to get started early, your homework would be to find in the houses, looking at your list of houses, where does Saturn lie for you? 
Um, keep in mind right now, Saturn is in Capricorn, right? So we're going to kind of be finding, okay, where was Saturn when I was born and where is Saturn now? So we can, we're going to talk about that next episode. Uh, for instance, if, you know, your second house is ruled by Capricorn and Saturn is in Capricorn right now, you may be learning a hard lesson about money or whatnot, but we're going to talk about Saturn's lessons next episode. I'm also contemplating having a sort of book club episode about the book Women Who Run With the Wolves. So if you're interested in that, can you DM me on Twitter? I really want to do that. I think I might just do it uh, just because I want to. And it might be a sort of book club where you don't even have to buy the book or read the book. You can just have a discussion with me about this book because I think this book is so important, especially for everything that's going on right now. So yes, uh, new episode, new book episode, and new Saturn episode are in the future. So I hope you have a wonderful week and stay strong during these times of political warfare (laughs) and have a great rest of Libra season. See you guys next time.